Listener supported. WNYC Studios. The other thing we wanted to put a big plug in for in a session about music is we wanted to put a big plug in for silence. It makes us nervous, and I think that's exactly why it's fun to use. I mean, just last week, someone was saying to me, they were helping me QC this thing, and someone said, well, that, that three second, there's a three-second pause. And I went, and I was like, yeah, that's how it happened. I love silence in audio. I think it's kind of the best. That's Emily Botine. As a vice president for on-demand content at WNYC Studios and showrunner for podcasts like Here's the Thing and Death, Sex, and Money, she knows a thing or two about creating highly produced audio. I am Sarah Gonzalez, and this is Work It, the podcast. We're bringing you a selection of talks and discussions from the Work It Festival for Women in Audio. Emily and Marianne McCune, the editor of a podcast called Rough Translation, focus here on scoring. Hi, everyone. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to see all you people out here. Thank you to all my colleagues at WYC for putting on this bonanza. And thanks for me as well. Um, we're really glad to see you all out there. Um, and uh, we, we decided to do this. Oh, I have to go to this one. We decided to do this session together. We said yes to doing it because we've known each other for a long time and we like spending time together. We became <laughs> friends uh, working together. Uh, we both used to work at WNYC. Uh, Marianne is mainly a reporter. Even though apparently I don't know how to use a mic. <laughs> Um, Emily is mainly a producer. Uh, and we both used to live in New York. Now we live on opposite coasts. And uh, we still text each other a lot. So this is an example of how our personal lives and audio lives intertwine. Top is a picture of my daughter at Halloween. And I, I think that I have to do a shout out to Juliet Heinley if she's in the audience because she helped me make that costume. But you can see below, there's then a text from Emily saying, hey, can you listen to this audio I'm producing? I'm way in on it. Uh, so we're always mixing it up that way. And uh, here are our plans to go to Mexico City for a week to, um, to design this, this talk. talk. <laughs> that didn't happen. I was, um, Emily was busy. I was scoring the Rough Translation podcast episode, so. But Marianne has this whole idea of working with people you love. Uh, but I guess when I heard that, my first thought was, oh, no, what if everyone in the audience thinks, but I don't like the people I work with? <laughs> um, and I do actually think that's a ripe conversation for the next Work It, how women work with people who they don't uh, necessarily love. But uh, today, uh, I think it's maybe work with people who have skills you admire. And um, I agree with that, and I also insisted on keeping this in because the first time that I ever worked with Emily was sort of a dreamy moment for me. Um, I, had, I got to do the 10-year look back at 9-11 in New York and how it was still lingering in people's lives, and I got to have Emily uh, produce it with me. And it's relevant to this because we had just gotten music. I had We were working on the opening, and I had written the narration and I had noted all these pieces of archival tape that I wanted to use and then we got this music and literally it was like, um, I don't know, seven different pieces of music recorded or composed by this wonderful composer, John Ellis. And I was like, here, Emily, here's the music, the archival stuff, my script and voicing and she put this together. Three. 
three, two, one. More than 4,700 people were missing as of yesterday. Rescue workers have had a difficult time searching for bodies given the tremendous amount This was recorded the day after September 11th. Let me start again, sorry. Three, two, one. More than 4,700 people were missing as of yesterday. Reporter Beth Fertig, trying to break down what happened into pieces people could get their minds around. As of last night, 35 bodies had been identified out of 100... I'm Marianne McCune. I was reporting with Beth and the rest of WNYC's newsroom that day. We were doing what so many people did after the towers collapsed, searching for a way to make sense of things. Data. A detail or two. Something we could hang on to so as not to get overwhelmed. So for me, and this is very personal, it may not be the music that you love, and that's part of what we're here to talk about, is it's, it's so much about who you are. But for me, it was like, uh, here was someone who took my ideas and my vision and made it better, and also in the course of things, you know, other points stopped me from doing dumb things. And um, so that's why I really, really encourage everybody, especially when it comes to music, which is so... Um, uh, personal to try to find people who you really trust or who trust. you really respect. Trust seems like a big thing. Yeah. And, and for me, it was like, oh my God, Marianne gave me the goods and she trusted me to play with it. Um, and I guess we should also say, um, you know, neither of us are sound designers or music supervisors. I know Jane Marie from This American Life is coming tomorrow to talk about that. So we come to this from a pretty, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I want to say inexperienced, but a c c pretty, uh, I, I wouldn't even say that I'm a music person. I listen to music, I love music, but you know, it's Marianne who has played violin. She took voice lessons. For a long time, I basically was too scared to work with music. I would hand over my sessions to someone uh, to put in the music. And I had spent so long listening to music that finally I was just like, wait a minute. Like, I, I want to play too. I want to figure out. I, I just want to step into this game. And I, I would say I came into it the same way um, just by starting to do it to, for, you know, in, in all the work that I was doing, especially as a news reporter, you didn't, we, we weren't allowed to put music in our pieces. So it was only after I stepped out of that role a little bit that I got to start playing. Um, so we both come to it from a learning on the job perspective and we just decided to pull sort of five lessons uh, that we've learned along the way that we thought would be useful to you. And the first one is the most important and it is leave time to play. And I just want to show you an example of what I mean. It's in this slide. This is like a, a crazy Pro Tools session from Rough Translation. Which oh. is Marianne's new podcast, which you haven't heard from. It's, uh, uh, it's Gregory, Gregory Warner's Warner. new Warner podcast. <laughs> with... But we like to talk about people behind the scenes. Uh, Marianne edited and sound designed it. Uh, and we'll be playing. We're going to focus this conversation on rough translation because a lot of it probably has heard of it it's so recent and we also want to let you know that there are two mics up uh we'll take questions at the end but you can also ask questions along the way and we'll try to get to them so if you have questions there's a gray two gray mics at the front of the stage so marianne what do we know here so i just want to show you an example of what i mean by experimenting and how um fun it looks 
<laughs> crazy. So I don't know if a lot of people use Pro Tools and don't be scared off by this session. It was like, it's partly so huge because part of it was pulled from a Hindenburg session into the Pro Tools session. And it, and it was, um, this is from the Congo episode of Rough Translation. And this was the pilot for it. So Gregory was working with this episode for a long time and it's had many hands on it. Um, and I wanted to play you just to, to explain what we mean when we say experimentation, a version that Gregory worked on and then the version that I worked on after that, um, just so you can hear an example of playing. So um, this is, so do you want to point those tracks at the top? Are, right um, it's true, the pointer is useful. Yeah, those are, are the the it was this was like a, there's been so many versions of this piece but this is a an earlier version of the music in this one part and I'm just starting it in the middle and by the way we ended up choosing all this audio that's quite intense to play for you uh, that wasn't on purpose so sorry we're just dipping into these very serious moments and when that woman's finished and a third interview starts and the same thing happens Laura starts noticing in herself the very last thing that she expected to feel when she arrived here it was doubt. Doubt. Something is amiss. It felt so insensitive and so confusing that I maybe would have just left it. Insensitive to whom? To the women. To somehow suggest that I didn't believe that story. And I was talking to my colleague, like once we were away from the elders and away from the women, I just said something like, that was a strange experience. Okay, so I want to show, point out that this piece here, that's from one, uh, that's from an entirely different composer. This piece is from the composer we worked with, and so is this piece, but these pieces are from, these are actually just sort of some dangling loose ends he gave us. So this is three pieces of music layered that aren't even supposed to be layered together. So that's one example, and then we didn't go with that. So you heard that, and what did you do? I was like, it seemed a little too... Um, too serious, or not too serious, but too down and too Let's much the music doing something I didn't want it to do. So here is closer to what, this was a working, this is an old session, so it's, but this is pretty close to what we did. So. And when that woman's finished and a third interview starts and the same thing happens, Laura starts noticing in herself the very last thing that she expected to feel when she arrived here. It was... Doubt. Doubt. Something is amiss. It felt so insensitive and so confusing that I maybe would have just left it. Insensitive to whom? To the women. To somehow suggest that I didn't believe that story. And I was talking to my colleague, like once we were away from the elders and away from the women, I just said something like, that was a strange experience. Okay. It does sound different. I mean, it's super subtle, but. Yeah, so I think I wanted to pull it back. I didn't want it to be so present, but I also wanted to use this little piece, that little do 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 do, that um, to me is, it, it actually can feel hopeful, it can feel, um, it, it feels exploratory to me, and to, and this idea of doubt in this piece is a very important pe is a very important idea. But doubt is um, not just a bad thing; it's leading to discovery. 
And so that was a theme that we wanted to, um, that, that, little, th that little musical phrase in there, we, we, we used in a lot of places in the piece. Marion, you have this idea that you've told me about before, and I, but I, about music is like the outfit. Yeah, okay, so that is our second takeaway, which is music is like the outfit you wear on the first day of school. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, um, it's kind of like the, the, I hate to say it this way, but the way people judge you. It's like, it's your identity. People hear it and they think, oh, it's this kind of thing or that kind of thing. Um, and um, People have or, such emotional responses to the music that you put in pieces. And it's, it's really worth thinking about that. Right. So, um, Emily, you've talked about putting adjectives on it. When I'm looking for music, uh, I often write down adjectives that I'm trying, that I'm hoping a piece will convey, and I just literally write adjectives or verbs even, but just like it could be strutting or something. But you know, what kinds of moods? And then when I'm listening to the music, and in here we're talking about having the luxury of using a composer. But even if you're looking, listening to a music library, you can stare at your list of adjectives, and then you're saying, "Is this music hitting those adjectives? Is this music hitting those words that I was hoping it would hit?" So for the Rough Translation trailer, we, and actually before we had any of the music at all for Rough Translation, we were sort of talking about, okay, what do we want it to sound like? And we didn't write down a list of adjectives. We, that probably would have been a great idea, but um, I, I definitely had some ideas in my head, like uh, I wanted it to feel a little rambunctious and a little cacophonous, like, you know, it's an international podcast, so like a lot of um, ideas and people bumping up against each other. And I'll just play you the end of the trailer to, so you can hear what we landed on. It starts in a more um, solemn part of it, and then it goes to this, this sound, which to me was what I was looking for. But in every story we tell you, even if it's in the worst Somali prison cell, there will always be something. I have a book. At least one thing. And I'll read it to you. That is familiar. Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina. You're in prison in Somalia, and this has nothing to do with this world of the rich people of St. Petersburg. Yet, they are humans after all. I'm not alone any longer. Yeah. Rough Translation. Your guide to misunderstanding the world a little bit less. Coming soon, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I hadn't heard the trailer until we started working on this, and I think what surprised me about it is it's not a trailer. To me, when I hear the music, it's not something you would think of with foreign reporting. It's right. like, it's, it's like, what? And that's, it's, that is definitely what we're going for. We, it's, people think of international news, and they're like, oh, I'll listen to that later. Uh, but here, we wanted it to sound like something you want to listen to now, something that's going to be fun, and you're going to really get into stories. And actually, I didn't mention this before, but um, Gregory Warner, who's the host, plays accordion. And we had this whole discussion about, okay, is accordion, like, too stereotypical public radio? Like, all public radio people play accordion. <laughs> and we really went back and forth. And when we brought John Ellis in, we had this whole 
Just that we were like, we want accordion, but we don't want it to sound like typical accordion or stereotypical public radio accordion. But anyways, so, um, but, but I, um, I, so there's, you heard that, I don't know if you know that was an accordion, but there's like this little doodling accordion that I love and that feels very much part of our identity mm -hmm. for good reasons and bad. <laughs> and so then to continue with the clothing theme. Yes, the clothing theme. The other thing about why music is like your clothes is um, it's you want your pants to go with your shirt to go with your shoes. And you want, um, I, I really believe that in a, a story or one episode of something, that you want the music to help it feel cohesive or coordinated in some way. And that's not to say you don't want completely different moods or completely different musics. It's not about what genre or anything. It's just that you, you know, it's just like you might wear a green shirt and red pants. It, can, it doesn't have to match, but it's nice if there's a through line and a story that you're telling with the music as well as with the, the words. So I wanted to play you um, uh, the, this Congo episode. As I said, it, it was the pilot episode. So Gregory had been had had it around for a while, and he initially had it scored by another composer, and I wanted to play you that. Um, and then what we ended up with, another little piece of it, so you can hear what it was and what we ended up with, which is quite different in my mind. So here's the old one. Just come and say you are raped. You will be supported. And Deborah was terrified, so she prayed to God. And then she put on her oldest clothes, took off her shoes, and barefoot she got in line. She says her questioners were black people and white people. They asked me my story, and I told them I had been raped by three armed men. She told them it happened while she was collecting firewood, just as her mother had always warned her. She was checked for HIV, and then given a bag of rice, a bag of peas, and a jerry can full of oil for cooking. Later, she'd be given the equivalent of $50. She'd use it to start a little vegetable stand. But that day, she remembers, as she and her sister are bringing these goods home, they're approaching the house, and her brothers race out of the house, dancing. So that's the old version, and here's the newer one. Just come and say you are raped. You will be supported. Deborah was terrified, so she prayed to God. And then she put on her oldest clothes, took off her shoes, and barefoot she got in line. She says her questioners were black people and white people. They asked me my story, and I told them I had been raped by three armed men. She told them it happened while she was collecting firewood, like her mother always warned her. She was checked for HIV, given a bag of rice, a bag of peas, and a jerry can full of oil for cooking. Later, she'd be given the equivalent of $50. She'd use it to start a vegetable stand. But that day she remembers, as she and her sister are bringing the goods home, they're approaching the house, and her brothers race out of the house, dancing. Can you hear a difference? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. I, it, it's weird because it's so small, but I think it is also so emotionally huge. Yeah, and I think um, one, of the, one of the problems I think we all, all are, the Rough Translation team had with the first one is that it sounded like it was 
It had a sound like it was trying to sound from that place. This is a story that takes place in Chicago, and there's like a certain kind of drumming, and, and then there's a, a sort of fluty thing, which to me sounds actually more South American, but the point is it sounds like it's trying to be from that place. And I, I don't have anything against using music from a place, but it's just a delicate thing. And, I, so, and, I, and we didn't, especially because we're in an, an international show and we're all the stories from all different places, we don't want to be doing that. We don't want to be like, and now here's your Congolese music. Um, and um, the other thing is that music was, I felt it was just too much. It was a little too leading. And what we ended up bringing in was, I don't know if you guys could hear already, because when you haven't heard it a lot of times, but there's the same sort of theme, this like, Deborah, the character is saying like, "Well, what happens if I to do me, this?" And very you hear that opening. theme, but it's, it's the very questioning. It's under sort of. this time. It's the bass. Last time you heard it, I can't remember what instrument it was, but this time it's the bass doing doom, 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 yeah. doom, and and then you hear it bigger with the piano, and so it's a recurring thing, and it's not a theme for one person, but it's um, you know, it's coming back for different people in different yeah. ways in yeah. the piece. So, and obviously, music uh, serves different roles in different parts of your piece. Um, Marianne, when we were talking about this, you kept talking about music that drives. Right. This is our, our third takeaway, and it's really two different things. What are the first two? First <laughs> is play. I, the first one was play. The second one is... Um, no, work with people you love. Play. No, no, work oh. with people you love isn't one of them. Oh. Sorry, <laughs> we're a little conflict. The first one is play. The second one is music is like the outfit you wear on the first day of school. Right. Just so you can all the remember. The third one is... Um, two-parter. Right. Marianne says there are two different kinds of music and Emily says whatever kind it is it has to dance with your people. Right. Okay so what I was saying was I think of there I think this is super useful when you're putting stuff together to th think that there are two kinds of music. One is like the music I was playing you from the trailer that's the here I am this is my identity music and you know you, maybe you'll be playing more of that in the clear without any words underneath and then there's a kind of music that's like don't listen to me. Just let me affect the way you're hearing what you're hearing. And that I think of that as like underlining music or bolding or, um, but it, it's going on underneath and it's it's helping the listener interpret what they're hearing. Is underlining the same as driving? N no, I mean oh. underlining could no, be no, depends but on your but, mind. Okay, so no, no, because I one example of that type of music to me is something I call, and nobody else calls it this, but I call it driving music. And I don't mean like driving in your car, I mean like driving the story forward. Um, so I'll just play you an example of that. Um. I've seen this before. I've seen this before. Christian, Laura's colleague, who felt certain that the women in Lavungi were lying. I've been working with the humanitarians, so I know what happened and I know how reports are done. He is war So that's all. It's just that doom, 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 doom. And I'll just give you one more example of a different kind of driving music. Um. Laura's article about Lavungi comes out in the magazine Foreign Policy in March of 2013. And plenty of bloggers and commenters picked me apart for that and said, who is she to interpret a woman's reaction and say that she wasn't raped? Who is she? Who is she? So that's just two examples, but there are lots of different kinds of underlining music that you might have a drone or, and it's just helping to helping people to interpret. I, I, Jay Allison, who a lot of you know is not a girl, 
Um, but he has a phrase which I always liked, which is music that holds time, which I think is kind of what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> and then which, Emily has this idea about music dancing with your tape, which I right, love. Right, which I, th- I think they're perfectly complementary. Mm-hmm. But they are different. The way I think of it's more about how... That's why we put them on the same slide. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's more about how you use music, how you think about putting the music with your actualities, your tape, your interviews. So I, I literally do always think that the music is dancing with my people, the tape. And I think about this because, um, when I'm talking about dancing, I'm talking about partner dancing. Um, which is not something I do. I mean, I've done it. And I think about this time uh, along many like decades ago where uh, there's a guy named Jim Griffith who is an anthropologist in Arizona. And I was once at a conference and he's about 40 years older than me. He's a really big dancer. And I could see him and I could see him coming up to me and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to dance with this guy. And he's a huge guy. But he's the kind of person that when you dance with him, he makes you feel like you know how to dance. He like swings you around and makes you feel like you're good at this. And for me, that is literally what I hope my music does to the tape. So it's like a person is talking and then the music grabs them and then does maybe a little something on its own and then leads into the next person. But like I want, and I, I want the music to be holding and twirling necessarily, maybe, but like holding the people together. So I'm forcing Emily to include this piece of tape, which is also from Living 9-11. She was like, it's too old. But I think it does a great job of, of demonstrating what she's just talking about. From WNYC Radio in New York, this is Living 9-11. Stories from people who, a decade later, are still trying to make sense of what happened on September 11th. I'm Marianne McCune. I just feel like a gaping hole in my chest, and I figured if I came out and tried to... All over New York, the day after the attacks, people gathered together. Came here to uh, share support, just be in solidarity with everybody else. To kind of connect with the greater community. They wanted to be close to each other. Feel a part of something. And is it working? It's working. It's, it's pretty devastating. But they didn't always know how to talk about what happened. But I don't think I could possibly put words to anything. Erin Rieg and yeah. her sister Allison were 11 and 13 on September. And, I mean... The common thing to call that, in a way, is posting. Like people say, right. "Oh, the music." <laughs> Sorry, it's true. that's what people call it in music. Right. Like, like you say, "Oh, the music posts here." Like it changes. There's a moment of change, and then, the, and it, and it. I don't know. And just to go back to the playing thing, like you can move a piece of music a quarter of a second this way or a quarter of a second that way, and it sounds completely different. And that's the kind of thing you need to leave time for, especially when you're starting to use music. You just gotta keep. Like, I'll sometimes be like, oh my God, I'm being so obsessive. Does it really sound different? But it does when you move it a little bit one way or another. And um, And it changes the way it dances with people. And we also want to be careful to say, like, you you know, as much as music is fun and stuff, you don't want music to define your content. Right. That's the fourth lesson. You don't want, 
like you don't want to listen to your piece and be like, before it has music in, in it, and, th and be like, this is not working now, but when we put the music in, it'll totally right. work. I mean, uh, we, I think everyone does that just a little bit, but you try, it, it, I think that audience, you know, people listening to your pieces can tell when you're trying to manipulate them with the music, and you don't want the music to be leading the story. You want the music to be helping the story. I think that's really important, especially me coming from a news background. Like, I love pieces with no music. Yeah. Um, when uh, did you add the music in rough translation, how, fine, how much along the editorial process? Is it completely the end? Or? We, yeah, we, t we will have a, a pretty final rough cut before we put the music in. Sometimes yeah. if we're, I mean, if there's time and we're organized and there's a section that's really, um, you know, like sometimes you're doing a, a montage of, of news archive stories or something like that, and it's hard to hear how that's going to sound without, without music. music. Um, but yeah, it's the, it's the last thing we do before sending it off to be done. So you were going to play something where music got in the way? Oh, yeah. So this is a, from another episode of um, Rough Translation, American Surrogate. And um, this is just, we had this piece of music from John Ellis that has this bowed bass in it, and it's really beautiful. I mean, he gave us so much beautiful music and of all different emotions. And American Surrogate is a very emotional piece, and, and Jess and I were like, oh, maybe we can use that bowed bass. Jess Jang, who's the producer of Rough Translation. Maybe we can use that bowed bass for this, like that one piece. It's so beautiful, and it seems like it goes with these two people. So we tried it, and here it is. There are moments following a journey like this one that get imprinted on your memory. And for me, this was one. Jesse has traveled so far and has waited so long to see this baby. The baby who has tubes in his nose to help him breathe behind the door on the right. And she chooses the door on the left. So I'm going to just stop it there. You, I mean, you can hear, I actually wanted, I, I'm sure when I first tried it, it was much bigger and there was, you know, breaks for it. And then I was like, got to pull back on that, got to pull back on that. And ultimately, I just decided it was like, we didn't need that extra emotion. And it's very, I, I mean, you haven't heard the rest of the story, but it's an emotional point in the story. And we just took out the bass and left in the piano that's going with it, so you can hear it like that. There are moments following a journey like this one that get imprinted on your memory. And for me, this was one. Jesse has traveled so far and has waited so long to see this baby. The baby who has tubes in his nose to help him breathe behind the door on the right. And she chooses the door on the left. Jackie. <laughs> Jackie. Where's the... Is, I can I think it, I'm hoping you guys can hear better than we can up here. Could you hear piano in that? Yeah. Okay, I think piano. it's just the way the speakers are. I've oh, been okay. already thinking about that. Huh. Um, so it's just an example of... And actually, we, I tried that bowed bass in a bunch of other places. And every time it was like, like, you know, I guess it's good. Like, if, if your tape is bringing the emotion, you don't need to add emotion. But, you not, you know, but you might be coming off of something else. You, you want to add a little bit. Um, 
I think the main thing is you're, you're, you're not trying to tell people how to feel, mm-hmm. but it is a very delicate balance because earlier I said, um, you know, that underlining music can help people interpret what they're hearing, and it's true, it, but it's a very fine line between, between helping and like shoving, I guess, in the yeah. direction of the emotions that you want. The other thing we wanted to put a big plug in for in a session about music is we wanted to put a big plug in for silence. Yeah, we both were saying that. Honestly, silence can be your most powerful music. And um, there are many points in scoring Rough Translation where I was, um, I, even in the trailer that you heard where, the, um, the, where Gregory's talking to the guy in the Somali prison who read Anna Karenina. And, you know, there's this nice sort of emotional music and then it goes out and Gregory says well but but how can you be getting something out of Anna Karenina about all these bourgeois people when you're sitting on a dirt floor in a Somali prison and he says well it's about suffering we're all human after all and that part is in the silence and I feel like that's because we want it like that is part of that's like a key thing that rough translation is about and you just want that line to just go from the radio or from people's earbuds into their heads and land and be the thing that they listen to and then get started on like turn the page with a different kind of music. And that's words without music but I also think you can I think pauses and just plain real silence is super powerful and I think we we get it makes us nervous and I think that's exactly why it's fun to use. I mean just last week someone was saying to me they were helping me QC this thing, and someone said, well, that three second, there's a three-second pause. And I went, and I was like, yeah, that's how it happened. And I think we should, I just, I love silence in audio. I think it's kind of the best. And our last real quick takeaway is um, that commissioning music is so worth it and fun. <laughs> it's so great. And I understand all of you are like, oh, you got to, you know, work on this big NPR podcast and there was a budget for music and I'm sure that's not true all the time. I mean, I know that not to be, that that's not true. Um, And I would say that there are a lot of musicians out there who are excited to get their music listened to via podcasts. Um, And, but more importantly, it's just that thing that to come back to what we talked about at the beginning of working with people you love. John Ellis is um, this great composer and great musician and he, he knows what he's doing and, and, um, to be able to say, this is what I'm imagining, this is what I want, like the rambunctious, or we want all these different moods, or that kind of thing to somebody who knows what they're doing, and then have them deliver something that's not what you were exactly expecting, but that's, that's so great to work with, is just, is, is really great. So if you can do that. And if you have questions, please come up or line up to mm-hmm. start. And we've realized that there are hordes of you who have questions. Um, but Marianne, you were also talking, you told a story about when... That means John- it's time for the Q&A, so yeah. come on up. <laughs> um, but you told a story about John sending, in terms of working people you love and going back to trusting, that right. he sent you things halfway. Yeah. So I, okay, we had this experience with John, and I already know him and love him, but um, Gregory and Jess Jang, the, the, it was just three of us working on this podcast, and um, they didn't know him, and they did love him, you know, he's very lovable. But anyways, so we were, because it was, we were getting music for seven episodes, right? And we were just looking for the sort of thematic music and then whatever else he would do for us. And so we had a lot of conversations about what we were looking for and that we wanted like themes, but with different moods. And um, 
And we were like, how can we listen to it before you're just in there recording with your seven musicians? We, we want to know what we're getting because we don't want to just like go blindly into it and then get a pile of music, which is what we did for Living 9-11. But, um, so he said, well, I can give you MIDI, you know, the MIDI tracks, which is like the computerized um, version of it. And he was like, but you know, that's like really dangerous because it sounds really different. And we're like, oh, we're radio professionals. <laughs> We, we can listen to MIDI and that'll be fine. And then he sent us all, he sent us like seven tracks of MIDI computerized music. And we were like, ew, we don't like this. <laughs> so I just want to play you unless, but people should come up and ask questions, but I'm going to play um, the MIDI version of something he sent. Huh. It's just, I mean, this is also my plug for using live record, live instruments. But anyway, here it is. So I hated this. <laughs> I was like, ew. There's like this descending half steps thing that's with a horrible sounding instrument that I guess was supposed to be accordion. Okay. So how and did you, what did you say to him? We, it, was, <laughs> it was, and so we came back and we were like, all these annoying comments to John, who's such a lovely person, but like, it doesn't sound like you or like, it doesn't sound like the you that we wanted. And he's like, oh my God, I compose so many different kinds of music. Like, what do you mean when you say me? But um, also, I don't know, we were just like, and it doesn't, you know, there were all these pieces and we're like, oh, if you, we could also have something that's got a little more emotion or whatever, because it sounds like it's a computer playing right. music that he has in his head, right? So then he was basically was like, took all our comments and then just went and did what he was always planning to do, I'm pretty sure, because he knew that we were wrong. And um, so here's just an example of one of, there were probably 12 tracks based on that one piece of MIDI, and here's one of them. Like, this is the same piece of music. Mm. <laughs> and it's jazz musicians, so they're... It's so it's really hard to work with live musicians. I mean, because it, it, but it goes back to trust. Well, exactly. It's we're working with a composer. I mean, some composers are composing music on not live a computer music. and they, and so they can play you what they're working on and then they can change it. But John's recording musicians live in a studio on one day. Yeah. So listen, there's a little and you may still hate it, but I love it, this version. <laughs> Do you have a question? So. Hi. Um, I've had my. Oops. <laughs> I'm gonna sound design the questions. <laughs> I totally did that on purpose. <laughs> I'm gonna play that every, after everyone's question. I'm dancing with it. So, um, I, I've had my eye on a composer for a long time. Uh huh. And um, I don't have any money to pay right. them. Right. Uh, but I, I, I would like to ask them about it, and I would like to see if I have something for them. Yeah. Um, how would you suggest that I approach I would this? just ask really respectfully and honestly, which is what we did, frankly, with John Ellis the first time for Living 9-11. We, we had a tiny budget compared to who he is. He's a pretty successful musician. I, just, I know him, but also I had seen this piece that he did... Um, just a beautiful piece of music that I saw performed and I was like, that's the music I want in our show. So I went to him and I said, John, 
we have almost no budget. I know this isn't, up, you know, you are worth more than this, but I wonder if it's something you're interested in. And I told him what the project was. He was very into the project. You know, he's lived in New York a long time. Like, he cared. And he's just a great guy. And we paid him everything we could. And then we, we, won, we won an award for that story that had some money. So we gave him some of the award, the, the award money. And you can um, give him like mention, of, and if it's a podcast at the end, you can give him mention yes, on the website. And also like he got to, he went on soundcheck talking about the music. That wasn't like a quid pro quo, they wanted him on. But um, so I just think honesty and respect in your ask, like you, you go to the person and you say, I'm sorry, I don't have anything. Maybe, you know, you, you can't even guarantee that it's gonna turn into a big podcast that everybody listens to, but you can say, I'm going to try to get people to listen to it. We said, Let's like, this question. time we were able to pay John Ellis more. I don't know how much because I didn't deal with that part. But um, but we're also tweeting about it. Like, hey, it was so great to work with John Ellis. And a lot of people are downloading it because it's an NPR podcast. And they did a pretty good job of promoting it. So, And after at the end of every episode, we say and the, the you know music was composed for this show by John Ellis. So I just think honesty and respect in the way you ask to say, I know this is probably less than you would normally work for or it's nothing, but I just wanted to ask you, would you want to do it? Okay. Let's go to another Thanks. question. Hi, um, Hi, I have a quick question about uh, if you have any recommendations for places to look for royalty-free music if you don't work at a place that like has music licensing or ability to pay royalties. I mean, this room probably knows more. I mean, yeah. certainly a lot of us use the free music archive. Yeah, but there, depending on who you're working for, there are a lot of different rules. Like, even those are free, but they, it depends on what you're doing with it. And some of them, it's a lot of technical, there are a lot of technical rules, and people interpret those rules really differently. So I would say, yes, I, I will go to free music ar archives and look for stuff, but then you have to really check whether you can use it for free. Um, there are also um, comp a lot of composers out there who, who um, just put their music on a website for sale, and they have some, you know, one of the ones I love, he has a sliding scale, so it's like if you're under this, if your project is under this budget, it costs this much to use the music, and you just download it. And you can even u download his... It depend on what, depending on what kind of license you have, you can download the stems, which is some, something we didn't talk about, but stems in music are what allow you to take, like if you want to take out the bass but leave the piano, you can do that, and it, and it gives you a lot of flexibility when you're scoring things. So, uh, sorry, we don't have a great answer for that because it depends so much on the context. But. We can take one more question. I, um, my question's about when the composer delivers the music to you. You mentioned there were like 12 versions of that, that piece we heard and, and stems as well. Like what, when you've commissioned someone and you've spent money getting them to design this music for you, sort of what do they, what sort of library of music do they, you know, for, for rough translation maybe specifically, like what did he deliver to you? What, oh, what did he deliver to us? Yeah, like what okay. did you get back when His you... reaction, I mean, his thing from the beginning was he was like, I'm just going to make you guys a lot of music. He said, not everybody can compose a lot of stuff really fast, but I can. So he, that's what he did. He gave us, I think it was sort of seven different pieces that he wrote, but each within each one of those, there were, there were completely different versions. So like a different drum beat, um, different instruments, 
sometimes it would be like a, just a duet between the clarinet and the bass, and sometimes it would be the whole band with wild jazz drumming or whatever. And some of the pieces I, I was never able to use. I was like, this is just too crazy. Like, it's distractingly complex. Um, but so much of it we did use in different places. But does that answer your question? Yeah, was, I guess would he give you also like maybe a raw session with this different... You know, so you can take out the stems, or would he just deliver you like many, many? Files? Yeah. Do you want? I can show you guys um, the stems, so you can see. Actually, I I was hoping somebody would ask this question. Um, so this is actually this isn't a John Ellis piece. This is um, this guy who has a, a who has a music company called Blue Dot Sessions, and so this is um, like here is one instrument, here's another instrument, etc. Going down. And you can listen to it, and I'll tell you like what I would take out if I were using this. But we never used this piece because it was a little too emotional, actually. But it was something I was considering using in Congo. It's beautiful, though. So this one is like a little droney thing coming in, and I would not call this driving music because it's too it's slowing things down. And then this top, this guitar strumming, immediately when I heard that, I was like, okay, I won't be using that track. Not because I don't like it for just listening, but see, when you take it out, it's more like underlining music. Um, and I did, we did that a ton with, with um, John Ellis's music too. We had all the stems like that. And so I could go in and make a duet out of something that was the whole band. Um, and it just has to be recorded. You know, it's all about how it's recorded. All the instruments have to be recorded in little studios so that you can digitally separate them, which is, again, not what we did in Living 9-11. We didn't have any stems. We just had the right. full band all in one room playing all this great music, and then Emily Ideally, you have the stems, and you give yourself a lot of time. But we don't yeah. have any more time. Did that answer your question? Yeah, that was awesome. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> all right. That's it. We're done. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's Emily Bertine and Marianne McCune speaking at the 2017 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with additional support from the Annenberg Foundation. Event sponsors include Cole Hahn, Mac Cosmetics, and thirdlove.com. 